Welcome back to Tradman, everybody. Sorry for the long pause. How you doing, Jace? I'm not uh, not doing bad. How about yourself? You doing all right? I've been better. I've been better, and we're gonna get into we're gonna get into what's been going on with me in the past couple of weeks because I I really want to talk about it. I think it would be I think it's gonna make good content for the pod, and I'd like to get your uh, your take on all of it. But before we before we dive into that, uh, we should go ahead and say a quick prayer to the Holy Ghost. Um, are you cool with the uh, the Vinny Sancti Spiritus? Yes, sir. Let me uh, let me pull it back up here. Make sure I don't mess it up. But uh, yeah, I'm for ready. all of you who are uh, joining us, feel free to join along with us in a prayer to the Holy Spirit for guidance, wisdom, and edification in our discussion. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Vini Sancti Spiritus repletuora corda fidelium et tui amoris in eis ignim acende. Imite Spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facem tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium, sancti spiritus, illustrationi docuisti, da nobis seniorum spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolationi gardere, per Christum dominum nostrum. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. So. Well, well, uh, you, you kind of made me think here, before we get uh, uh, too far started in that, um, you, you know what month it is right now. Would you want to say... Also add a prayer to this show for the poor souls in purgatory. We should. We should add a, a prayer for the poor souls in purgatory. Eternal rest. Okay. Uh, let's let's uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon them, and may their soul and all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. In Amen. the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I have that prayer in Latin somewhere, but I don't have it with me and i didn't want to stone i just saw we did it in english you know little little <laughs> no, that, no, that's no. that's not modernism that's just <laughs> <laughs> using what we know right before before i clicked the record button jason and i were having a little conversation about um active participation and what that means and what it doesn't mean and i wanted to uh quote here from uh, uh cardinal lorenzi francis cardinal lorenzi who wrote a paper on this um and he says it is, not, it is not a surprise that soon after this council, some people began to exaggerate to the extreme of activism and liturgical participation. They seem to be pushing an unwritten agenda of active participation at all costs in all sorts of ways by everyone and in all parts of the liturgy if possible. Sometimes this led to noisy celebrations in which the roles of ordained priests and the lay faithful who have the royal priesthood were confused. Silence and times for meditating, listening were apparently not considered important. Activism or the effort to get everyone to be doing something active all the time was sponsored as if it were what the Second Vatican Council desired. Well, I hate to tell you, Cardinal, the Pope thinks that that is what it desired. Um, but anyway, I thought that was an I thought that was an interesting reflection from Cardinal Lorenzi. Um, but yeah, and then Jason, you were talking about a book um, based on this that you were reading. Um, yeah, so I've I, I've been slowly going through a book called uh, Reclaiming Vatican II: What It Really Said and What It Means, and how it calls us to renew the Church by uh, Father Blake Britton. I have not read. I've not heard it, of this book. It's it's put out by Ave Maria, Ave Maria. Uh, let me start over. Ave Maria Press, uh -huh. and I believe Word on Fire. Yeah, Word on Fire has a hand in it with Bishop Baring, uh, actually uh, recommending it. So it's not like it's a far right um 
traditionalist book coming out of the you pious know, the attempt remnant. society <laughs> yeah so, so, press, something like right? that so so shout, shout out to angela's make... press and shout out to the pious the tenth society we love you guys <laughs> I'm, we're not we're not picking on you but you know no no the, the point i'm making is in this book the reason i bring that up is because in this book so far i mean thus far i'm on page uh actually i just finished page 68 a little bit ago but anyway um the reason I bring that up of, of who printed it and all that is because a lot of the same arguments I believe that me and you have been talking about uh, in regards to Vatican II, you know, what we believe it really calls for, how it's been misconstrued uh, and whatnot. Uh, he talks about uh, kind of along the same lines of our, our reasoning. And you just talked about in that quote about sacred silence. Like I just got done reading about. You know, he talks about how we need to rediscover the sacred silence, how we're constantly having noise, how we can't connect to God. Because, you know, um, what's his name? Cardinal Sarah wrote a book on the power of silence. He did. And it's, a, and it's an excellent and, book, by the way. Yes. And so uh, going back to active participation, I, I won't read the whole thing. But what, what we were talking about before is, you know, he talks about, you know, Vatican II calls for active participation. And, you know, he makes the, the, you know, the, the statement that we live in a utilitarian type society where that means for me to active part, actively participate, I actually have to do something. I need to do this. I need to do that. If I'm not part of every step of the way, then I'm not actively participating, which couldn't be further from the truth. He goes on, you know, to, to talk about why that's wrong and even use our Blessed Mother as an example of how she actively participated in the plan for God's redemption, not with getting out there and doing everything, but being open and receptive to what God called her to do. He makes the, uh, in the sentence in this book, he says, thus the blessed mother teaches us the real basis of active participation to consciously recognize God's presence and peacefully allow his will to inform our actions. Well, and, and I think and, that also reflects what, um, His Holiness Benedict the Sixteenth, then Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, said on this issue as well. Because remember, we were in his um, um, the way that he looked at it was active part the participation, particularly liturgical participation, is primarily an internal participation. It, it I mean, now there are some external things that people will do the standing the kneeling the responses um the, the making the sign of the cross at certain times and things like that but primarily what what active participation means within the scope of the second vatican council and by the way benedict the 16th uh then <clears throat> at, at the time of the second vatican council was joseph ratzinger who was um a a, a theology professor uh, and he was one of the principal movers and shakers. He was one of the principal periti of the council. So it's not like he's making this up. He was there. And he, more than, more than almost any other theologian you can think of today, is primarily responsible for crafting a lot of these documents. So he knows what he's talking about. And he was, and he goes on to say that this participation that we're talking about is primarily internal. It's not about clapping and dancing and shouting and all this other crap that has worked its way into modern liturgy. Uh, and so that was, it was very mysterious to me when Tradiciones Custodes showed up 
uh, how the principal claim against us was we don't actively participate. And I thought, well, hell, we go to mass, which is more than you can say for the most of the people who attend the Nova, the 70% of the people at the Novus Ordo don't even go. How the hell are they actively participating more than I? Anyway, <laughs> you yeah, guys, you, we're going to keep it PG-13 here. I'm just, ha- <laughs> I just happen to have been in a mood and it's not been, and it's not been great. So, um, and this is a perfect segue into what I was hoping to talk with you about, Jason, and to share with our listeners, um, those of you who are hanging in there with us. We, we try to schedule this every week, but, you know, we're lay people. We have lives. We have families that, and, and sometimes we're just not able to record every week, so we apologize. But we're in, I'm going to make a better effort to, uh, to make this a, a weekly thing. I have been thinking a lot about the, the Catholic Church and what the heck it is we're doing here. Okay, for, for, for my whole life, I had believed that the Catholic, the principal aim of the Catholic Church was to save souls. I guess I was wrong because I, I guess the principal aim, the, the, the one and only thing that the Catholic Church cares about is, well, make sure you get your COVID shot. Make sure you sort your recycling because that's important. And 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 did you get did you, did you take your vitamins? Because taking your vitamins is important. And it's like, don't you guys have anything? It, is is the COVID shot really the secret to life? Getting getting that is the secret to life. That's the purpose of life itself. I mean, I'm not saying one way or the other. And I'm not going to get into the vaccine argument. My point here is, though, that your holiness, um, that is not really what we go to church for. I, I don't I don't know how else to explain it other than um, he doesn't want people attending holy mass because that's rigorous. That's that's too rigid and that's that's bad. Um, but instead, what we're going to do is have this never ending series of synods that that come to nothing and don't produce any thing out there um and supposedly listen to the supposed to listen to the what the people want and their desires yeah and you can't even you can't even call up the priestly fraternity of saint peter and tell them hey by the way i'm gonna ban you guys in a couple of days but he's gonna host this synod on listening and i just thought well i mean at least he's interested in the topic um well, it's kind of like, you know, talking about that, and I and I agree with you. I I don't necessarily want to get into the pro vaccine or anti vaccine, you know, vaccine the COVID one in particular, um, but it, it has become its own religion for many people, even among our priests and bishops. You know, they have the term branch Covidians, you <laughs> yeah. know, where that's that's all they that's all they worry about. That's all they think about. And I'm not saying go out there and be stupid with your health. Of course not. I mean, take it. There are more important things in this world than, than the temporal, right? You got your eternal. I watched the movie. Have you ever seen Open Range? You that sounds with, uh, Robert very Duvall familiar. I think I have. Kevin Costner. Man, that okay, sounds well, real there's familiar. A, I don't know. There... I don't know why, but this saying has been in my head quite a bit uh, in past few weeks. But, uh, you know, 
uh, Kevin Costner's character is going up against the against the guy that you know runs the town and is trying to run them off because they're free grazers and whatnot. But anyway, some of the people in the town were like, "Well, he'll kill you, or you'll die, or whatever if you do this." And he goes, "There are some things that gnaw at man more than death," and it's just kind of resonated with me lately because we're constantly hearing about. Oh, well, this could kill you, or this could do this, or why would you do that? Because you could die. And it just makes me think, there, there are things that gnaw at you more than death. I mean, I would think you know? so. I mean, but Should. now, see, I have this. Okay, so this is so that's the beginning of what led to the crisis that I've been in the last couple of weeks is I don't know why, I, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing in the Catholic Church anymore. Um, we've, we have got a Pope who I'm sorry to say this and you, you know, we can argue about it if you want to. I don't believe is minimally (laughs) qualified for the job that he has. I'm sorry. I said it. And I, and by the way, I have some proof of this. Okay. I'm not just going off the cuff here, but, um, it, 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 it began to really, uh, gnaw at me and bother me and cause me to be upset. And I got to this point, I got to this place where I was like, the number one obstacle to my spiritual life is my spiritual life. The number one obstacle to my spiritual life is the Catholic church. Now, what the heck do I do about this? Because for, for, for 2000 years, you, if you wanted to be saved, you had to be a member of the church and the, the Catholic church is not a religion. The Catholic church is a society. And Catholicism is the religion of the Catholic Church, okay? One necessarily went with the other. And you had to be a member of the the society, and the way to be a member of the society was to practice the society's religion. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, now we're in this weird place where you can be a member of the society or you can practice the society's religion, but you can't do both at the same time. Now... Now I'm walking this weird tightrope with my salvation. I have no idea what Christ wants me to do. And I just got really sort of upset and kind of annoyed that I was even put in that position. So I just kind of ducked out for a while. I I just quit going to church, quit praying, quit. I just needed some interior peace for a moment. Now, I realized that was not the appropriate way to deal with that and... Uh, I, I, I have since come back, but it, 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 it doesn't, I mean, what the heck is going on here? Do, do you, do you see what I'm saying, Jace? Does this make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of another, uh, media personality who seemed like he kind of went down the same the I don't want to say same path, but he went down, you know, kind of some of the same issues. But I think he kind of went too far in the wrong direction. It's easy to do. Um, <laughs> it's it's and, and I can see that. And I was I was thinking the past couple of weeks. It's not like you know with with our with our podcast here. It's not like we got a big reach. I mean, I don't know how many people technically listen. I mean, on our Twitter, for instance, what do we got? We got 45 followers. So it's not like we got a big reach, We have reach, a better right? following on Twitter than we do on the actual pod. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I preface that by saying I feel like in my experience, this podcast has been good for me 
internally and my growth and my knowledge. And, you know, it's always a struggle to take the knowledge a lot of times and move it down to your heart, right? You know, I was talking to a friend recently about how, you know, we've had many great saints who necessarily weren't that intelligent from all accounts, but they had the love of God burning in them. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like I struggle with that, taking what I learn and moving it down because moving it down is is really important right into your heart. Sure. So, so I started thinking about, cause I haven't had the same struggles you have, but I know I've had, uh, struggles with, you know, um, contentment. I've had struggles with being appreciative for the things that God has provided me versus what I don't have. Um, and just, just kind of been, I feel like a lot more cynical and angry than I usually am. And then when I, when I started talking to you and you started saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I've been MIA, you know, I've, you know, going through some, some personal, uh, battles or whatever, I started thinking, what, what, what's the chance that, that we are being, we're in a battle ourselves right now with, with the diabolic, with Satan, in the sense that they don't want us talking about these things. You know, even if it just benefits just me and you just sitting here talking back and forth and nobody else listens, these, these diabolic influences don't even want one person to change, right? And then it seemed like for me, when I started thinking about it, because we were going to do an episode on Our Lady of Fatima, right? right? And we know how much Satan hates Our Lady. Yeah. And it, se- it seemed like around that time was when I started having my my internal battles with, you know, with, with the way I react to people, the way I talk to people, the way I think. And then I talked to you. And and you mentioned your, your your personal struggles, and I just started thinking, you know what? I wonder if there's more at play to this than just we're just getting either burnt out or frustrated. Because yeah, our spiritual leader and Pope Francis should not cause a scandal, but that's not the reality we live in, right? Um, and and I don't know. How should I say it? I I don't know the right way necessarily to always to handle it because it's easier said than done to say, well, I'm I'm gonna obey God and if the Pope's wrong, then he's wrong, right? I mean that's easier said than done because we are scandalized by our leaders whether we agree with them or not. I I I 100% agree with you that that Satan is is very. I mean, <laughs> you, you're talking about how we're in a spiritual battle. Um, no, we're, we're not in a spiritual battle. Satan's just running roughshod all over us and we're just standing there getting <laughs> our butts kicked. That's not a, that's not a fight. That's just, you stand. I mean, that's just, I mean, the, when I think of the Catholic church in white right now, I am reminded of a quote from the movie Spaceballs. Uh, and, and <laughs> okay. Darth, dark, dark helmet, who was like the, the spoof of Darth Vader played by the lovable Rick Moranis. He has oh, yeah. this quote that when I first heard it as a kid, I laughed, but now I think totally applies to the Catholic Church. And that is, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. And I thought, man, that's us. That's us. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we simply, we, we have, I mean, even if one of our guys gets elected Pope, well, he'll do it for five or six years and then he'll stand up hand the ball to the other team and then go sit down. So even when we win, we won't win. Meanwhile, they function like a a well-oiled machine of destruction. And 
they are just running roughshod over us and we're looking up at them from the ground and thanking them for the opportunity to be the road upon which they travel. And I wish it was a battle. I wish it was. It seems like there's no end to what they can do and there is nothing we can get right. And it is so frustrating. And I, I have just been wondering lately, where is Christ in all of this? Uh, where, what is, what is the design here? What is the learning lesson? Are we wrong? Or I, I, I am, I have been totally, I, like I said, I'm not totally on the other side of this yet. I am hoping that by coming back to the sacraments and practicing religion, even when it doesn't always make sense, that grace will pull me to the other side of this. But I am so frustrated and so annoyed at how they can do anything they want and we never seem to fight. I mean, the lay people fight back, but we have no real power in the church. The only way you get to become a prelate is if you prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have no spine at all. I mean, there's five or six guys I can point to who are exceptions to this rule but by and large there'll be no profiles of courage in the college of cardinals and i, I just it, it's very saddening and it's very frustrating and that's what i've been going through <laughs> these these past couple of weeks and i just wish that somebody i mean i've got you've got cardinal burke who is outspoken you've got bishop athanasius snyder who is outspoken and that's about it. Everybody else is just biding time. They don't want they don't want to mess up their careers. And I'm just like, my goodness, you might as well let the women become priests. Maybe they can teach you how to stand up for yourself once in a while. I mean, come on, guys. What are we waiting on? I just don't know. Oh, and then we wonder why when the sex abuse scandals break. Well, you know, nobody, everybody knew, but nobody wanted to do anything. It's like, yeah, because I've got chickens in my backyard with more courage. It's just very frustrating, and it, it just makes me angry sometimes. I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have good, <laughs> something, anything good to say on that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I was uh, <laughs> trying to think of something intelligent to say, but you know. It, it, a couple of things that kind of came to mind and one does it, it, it i guess it's kind of different because it's you know within our own organization but i you know i just think about you know how how frustrated the you know when you read the new testament the apostles must have been you know when they went from town to town probably feeling like man i can't i can't win for losing sometimes um but did, did you hear that statistic recently i believe it was over on abortion that priest that were ordained, I think, back after back in the seventies or eighties, uh, whatever percentage of them. Um, it wasn't a, it was it should be a hundred percent, but it wasn't a good enough percentage. Uh, it was actually pretty low. That said, they believe abortion's wrong, and then they took another poll of priests that have been ordained, like I think in the past twenty years, maybe or so, mm -hmm. and that number, the percentage of them that thought abortion was wrong increased by by quite a bit i believe or at least increased i knew and it kind of 
to me, I, I was kind of like, well, kind of sends a message of maybe hope that once we get rid of, you know, what we got now, hopefully with the new with the new crop coming up, maybe there'll be more orthodox. But who knows? Well, I mean, who yeah, knows? And then and then we've got we've got a we've got a church that is constantly involved in these synods, and the new synod they're doing is a synod on synods. I I, I you couldn't make this up if you tried the synod on synodality, and. If you're curious about what the heck that means, well, so is the Pope. He is notorious for Listening saying, church. I don't even know exactly what it means. L- listen, listen to this statement. This is on the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website. And this is a short statement, so I'll just read it. The Synod on Synodality is a two-year process of listening and dialogue, beginning with a solemn opening in Rome on October 9th and 10th of 2021, with each individual diocese and church celebrating the following week on October 17th. The synodal process will conclude in 2023. Pope Francis invites the entire church to reflect on a theme that is decisive for its life and mission. It is precisely this path of synodality which God expects of the church in the third millennium. This journey, which follows in the wake of the church's renewal proposed by the Second Vatican Council, is both a gift and a task. By journeying together and reflecting together on the journey that has been made, the church will be able to learn through her experience which processes can help her to live communion, to achieve participation, to open herself to mission? Well, that was a hot... That, now, I just spent, what, what, a minute and a half saying nothing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've said nothing. Now, so I start... I get into the... There's a synod document. I, and I've, I'm, I, I've read the, the preparation document. The preparation document is... Even more hilarious. Um, there are, uh, what was it? What was it that he says here? No human being now is unworthy. And the what? Did, what in the world does it say about this nonsense that I was reading here? Oh, the ins, the insidiousness that divides manifests itself indifferently in the forms of religious rigor, of moral injunction, and of the seduction of a worldly political wisdom. If you look out at the world today, a, a world in which nobody knows if the world they go to sleep in is going to be the same one they wake up in, a world in which three guys on Twitter can get together and declare breakfast is racist. So not only can you not have breakfast anymore, but if you're somebody who has ever had breakfast, you should probably be publicly shamed and fired from your job. You're telling me that in this world that we live in, the principal problem is rigidity? Are you insane, Holy Father? Are, I mean, I ask this as a legitimate question. Are you insane? Are you ill? Because people are desperately grasping for anything to which they can hold on to. And yeah, a little rigidity would be nice once in a while because something that's rigid is fixed, immovable, set in stone. You know it's there. And in a world that changes every single day, yeah, people do want some rigidity in their life. But if you look out into this world and you think the number one problem is that people are too rigid, I think, I, I mean, uh, there might be therapy or medication might be so. You're insane. <laughs> you are insane. Well, have you- have you have you ever heard you know they'll talk about how 
children claim they don't like discipline, but they actually need it. Yes, of course. That is a well-known, yeah, that's a well-known thing. Same principle here with rigidity and direction and truth is people don't want all this fluff and, hey, don't worry about, you know, don't worry about this or, or, or you ask a question, okay, what's the direction that I need to take? You know, especially spiritually, it doesn't matter. I mean, happy Diwali, you know? And it's kind of like, well, how does that help me? Well, I don't know. I mean, every religion has truth, you know? And it's kind of like, okay, well, you're definitely not the place I need to go. And, and they, you know, they wonder why they're losing so many people. I mean, I, I, yeah, you hit the nail exactly on the head. And, uh, you know, in, in a, let's put it to you this way. If you put six people in a room right now and ask them how many genders are there, you will get seven different answers ranging from ranging from the forties to the fifties. And you're telling me that the principal problem in the world is that everybody's too rigid. I just don't know how, which leads me to my theory about Francis. May I share with you my theory? Cause I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit. And um, since he doesn't take any questions, uh, I'm going to feel free to speculate wildly on uh our current holy father well but before you do that before we leave this thought real quick let me ask you a question so when we read sacred scripture and it tells us that or jesus tells us our savior tells us that the that the world will hate us because it first hated him right talking about rigidity and 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 stuff like that If, if rigidity is bad and and the world is supposed to like us. What was Jesus talking about at that point? Was he talking about, oh, they're going to hate you because what? Because you don't hold to any truth? No, they're going to hate you because you hold to the truth. They're going to hate you, Jason, because you didn't sort out your recycling. It's all about being green. That's what Jesus was talking about. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it doesn't. When G, when I read that, Jesus is telling us they will hate us, or yeah, hate us, because we we know that He is the truth. He is. There is no other way to salvation. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ, which it can only be found in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. If that's too rigid, well, then count me as rigid. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I, I, well, there was there was one thing that Francis said that really got me thinking that he is just woefully unqualified to do this job. And that is, he said, love is not rigid. And I went, okay, so you've never loved anything or anybody in your entire life. That much is clear now. So I have, I have a rule that I follow. I do not travel in cars with women that I am not related to by blood or marriage. Without, Amen. without, without my wife being present, or at least another person, a witness, yeah, yeah, another person, right? You know, remember, uh, Vice President Mike Pence got blasted for. Well, that. I don't. Remember yeah, I mean, years ago? I, well, but see, I don't do it because I want to cover myself so that she can't say that I acted inappropriately. That's, I mean, not yeah. real. I mean, that that's a a benefit, I suppose. But it's a, it's a prudent thing. Essentially, to do in some it is about yeah. me understanding myself as a sinful creature and knowing what can happen if you start playing too, it's not like, yeah, if I get in the car with this woman and we go to, to a meeting or something like that, now I'm going to have an affair. Obviously not. But you see, it's just, it's one step on the road to perdition. 
right? Pretty yeah. soon you're traveling together. And pretty soon you're going to start, uh, well, you know, I mean, you might as well stay at least in the same hotel. Not in the same room, obviously, but you'll stay in the same hotel. It just makes more, more economic sense to do that. I mean, and you just see where this is going. And so, well, I, what I have one controversial, if you don't mind, real quick, I have one controversial opinion okay. that a lot of people, and I'm not a controversial person, so I actually think it is very hard for men and women to be what they call best friends that are not married, because of these reasons right here, because you are just opening up doors. I'll say this: that, I have I have uh, women who are quote unquote friends. But our friendship is different than my male friends. There's any time I would ever go anywhere with them, my wife's going to come, and and they're and they're her friends too, basically, essentially. So it's not really like yeah. But you're right. You're, it's not going to be the same as hanging out with your guy buddies, and pretty soon, and if you think it is, pretty soon you're going to have an affair. I mean, understand understand and know yourself now. Going back to what Francis was talking about, love is not rigid. Um, I rigidly follow that rule because I love my wife. So, yeah. the, so the fact that he is not willing, you know, the fact that his approach to this, I'm guessing, from what he said, his approach would be, eh, the mood strikes, don't be so rigid. That tells me he's never loved anyone or anything in his entire life. Or, like everything else he says, he misspoke. Which leads me to my theory about Francis. And here's how I think Francis got elected and why he has the job he has. And why we're in the predicament that we're in. See, John Paul II, you have to go back to, uh, my theory uh, requires us going back to the election of John Paul II, Coral Votiva, who was everything you're looking for in a pontiff. He is handsome. He is charismatic. He speaks like seven different languages. He um, is a, a, a very educated theologian, and he has a lot of pastoral experience. Uh, he was the bishop of the diocese in Krakow. So he's not just a bishop of a diocese. He's been the bishop in a persecuted diocese. So he's got a lot of pastoral experience, and he's just a giant of a man. And it's an obvious decision. Coral Voitiva, uh, Pope St. John Paul II, dies. And then the College of Cardinals elected the guy who was going to, who was a no-brainer successor to John Paul II, his closest wartime consigliere, if you will, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger. The problem with Ratzinger is, Ratzinger is a brilliant theologian, but he has no pastoral experience at all. He'd never been the bishop of a diocese. And this is not my criticism of him. This is what he says about himself, okay? He says, I, I don't know why they chose me. I'm not a bishop. I mean, I, am a, I, I have the Episcopal character in my consecration, but I've never been the bishop of a diocese. So I never realized that. Okay. So, uh, no, he'd been in the Curia his whole life. Brilliant. And, and he'll even tell you, look, you want a 37-volume compendium on the Gospel of John? I'm your guy for that. Governing the universal church like a bishop? Uh, if you say so, but I don't see it. And this is sort of the way he looked at it. He retires. He steps down. 
And in the wake of the sex abuse scandals and everything that happened, the College of Cardinals gets this idea that, okay, maybe what we don't need, maybe we don't need a theologian. Maybe we just need a pastor, somebody who has a lot of pastoral bishoping experience. And I don't care if his theological bona fides are so great. And in steps Francis, who, by the way, is not a theologian. Okay. He doesn't have a licentiate in theology. I've looked it up. He started his dissertation, but he never finished it. Um, he's never published any theological works. And I've almost got proof positive that he's doesn't know kind of the basics of Catholic theology. And I know what you're thinking, Mark, come on. He was a professor at a university and he taught theology. The Pope of the Catholic Church knows more theology than you think he does. Don't be so sure. Because I, I went to Loyola University. I took a class called Intro to Catholicism. This is a 100 level college level course at Loyola taught by a theologian. The word Eucharist never came up. This class would not qualify to get a kid through confirmation. Trust me, you do not have to be a theologian to be a theologian. Believe it, okay? So in steps Francis, who I think just, he's got to have a synod for, to find out what the Holy Spirit wants because I don't think he knows anything about the deposit of faith. And I can prove it. I got proof. You ready for my proof? All right. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. All right. <laughs> A couple of years ago, he starts this working commission to find out if we can ordain women as deacons. Okay. And and and, and we all and we were all like, oh, we know where this is going. Get ready for female deacons. But then he doesn't do it. Not only does he not do it, he inserts a new addendum to the Code of Canon Law, making anyone who attempts to ordain a woman a deacon or any woman who attempts to get ordained to the diaconate automatic excommunication. Now, how do you explain that? I think what happened is he learned for the very first time in his life that the diaconate is part of the sacrament of holy orders and therefore reserved only for men. I, I really do think that that's the case. And so he's, he's got this synod on synodality because I think he doesn't have any idea what the Holy Ghost wants because he, you know, we're talking about Vatican II. And, and for, for 50 years, a battle has raged between the forces who thought Vatican II was one thing and the forces who thought Vatican II was another thing. But if you notice, the Pope himself has never weighed in on this to describe exactly what he thinks about Vatican II. It's almost like he doesn't really care. I don't think he knows anything about Vatican II or Vatican I or any other council of the church for that matter. I think he has to have these synods so that he can educate himself on what the Holy Spirit wants him to do. That's my theory on Pope Francis. I could be wrong, but as seeing as how he doesn't take questions and he doesn't answer to anybody and he doesn't have to explain himself to us or so he says, I'm free to speculate wildly. That's what I think. Well, he well he did say his spirituality comes directly from Vatican II, whatever that means. But, um, but look at like okay the the two the two popes <laughs> since Vatican II, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, talked about Vatican II constantly, <laughs> constantly. It was no mystery what they thought the Council was and what it meant. Pope Francis has never what when has he talked about Vatican II other than to say you're wrong for not accepting it. Has he opened up the commission again to explore female deacons again? No. Or 
He has no. He a, inserted a was, new. He inserted a new thing in the code of canon law saying you're excommunicated if you try it. Okay. Okay. I, I thought I had heard something about that a long time ago, but I yeah, it, I, I it was a, a few years ago. ago. I, 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 yeah. I've been Catholic for three years. I mean, e- even after he came out and did that, I thought I heard something, but I've never really followed up on it because um, no, he put the kibosh anyway. on it. Um, you know, talking about love is not rigid. That would kind of answer this whole to me. You know, you, you use the the physical example in in your wife, you know, in your spouse and whatnot. But that also, if love isn't rigid, then then you get this idea that all religions are okay, that Pachamama is okay, you know, that all this is fine because if you're too rigid, you know, that's bad. So you have to be open to these other religions. It just kind of made me kind of made me think along those more spiritual lines with uh, love is love is not rigid because love should be rigid. But. Well, and that's the thing about all these other religions he wants us to be open to. They're rigid too. Okay. Oh, go yeah. out. If you, if you think I'm wrong, go out into the, uh, the city of Mecca. Oh yeah, that's right. You can't because you're not a Muslim. Yo, they yeah. won't even let you in the city. No, you're not. But allowed. go to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, walk around, pray your rosary beads. Go ahead. I double dog dare you. Why don't be rigid. Come on. They're not rigid, right? Yeah, I didn't think so. And this whole, you know, I don't think he knows anything about all these other religions he claims that have all the truth and all this that and the other thing. Here's the deal. I don't fault other people for practicing other religions, but I do believe that mine is the truth to the exclusion of all others. Otherwise, why, why would you practice it? It doesn't make sense. Well, you would expect your leaders to feel the same way. And one would expect, yeah. If I go talk to the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and he hits me with, you know, I think the Catholic Church is probably the one true church, that would be a shocking interview, to say the least. (laughs) And it ain't going to happen. I'm going to tell you that right now. He's probably a really great guy. Maybe he's not. I don't know him. But I have a weird feeling that he thinks Islam is the true religion to the exclusion of all others. And I don't have to agree with him on that, but I can respect it because... That's how I feel <laughs> about my religion. So if he can get there all by himself, what? why can't Jorge Bergoglio figure this out? I just don't know. Well, I'm, I'm looking here at the, at the, you know, the, the quote you, you mentioned earlier from the uh, synodality document. You know, it says, This journey which follows in the wake of the church's renewal proposed by the Second Vatican Council is both a gift and a task. So I read that, and at first I'm like, "Well, what's what renewal is he talking about?" Because since since I've been Catholic, and then since I've been kind of talking to people and, and reading over the past 50, 50, 60 years, how long it's been since since uh, you know the end of the Second Vatican Council, it seems like we're already, according to them, they say, "Oh, we've already renewed the 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 spirit of Vatican II, or we've renewed the churches." Uh, mission or whatever and it doesn't seem like it's that great of a renewal from the way they have it because it goes down here so some of the questions that are asked are some of the main questions what are difficulties obstacles and wounds in the local church in our local church who are those who walk together who are those who seem further apart and it seems like to me that you are ignoring those inside 
your group inside the church who are hurt and wounded and who are having difficulty and obstacles to the exclusion of those who could give two flips about the church. Yeah, if they want to know what what ha- what's happened in your local church that's wounded you, well, a couple of months ago, the Pope wrote a letter, published it in L'Osservatore Romano, that told me I wasn't welcome in the church anymore. We could start there. That might be one thing. That hurt my feelings when I read that. Hurt the feelings of a lot of people who hadn't been able to go to church for a year and a half because of COVID. And then how, how is, how is God speaking? Here's another question. How is God speaking to us through voices? We sometimes ignore how are the laity listened to, especially women and young people? What facilities or, or what faculties? Yeah. Or, or inhibits our listening. There? I lost you for a second. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Um, okay. But anyway, it says, how are the laity listened to, especially women and young people? Okay, well, we have felt like we've been ignored, especially after Traditione Custodes. And then, it seemed, it, I can only speak from the country in which I live and the experience I've had traveling the country, right? Going to different masses around the country. Sure. Women, they said, how are the laity listened to, especially women and young people? Here in the U.S., it seems like young people as a whole and even women are saying, hey, <laughs> We want to return to the tradition of the church. We don't want to go in this path forward where you have women deacons, women priests, where abortion is okay, where, you know, we have no absolute truths. People here don't seem like that's what they want. And and I would venture to say that's in other parts of the world as well. I can't, yeah, and I, I don't know what the, you know, maybe, maybe we're not the majority, but we're a sizable enough Man. minority that we ought to be listened to. And we, well, we're sizable enough that he wrote. Yeah, he wrote a, a letter, a letter to us. Yeah, uh, and and you know, I I'm I'm sifting through all this sand of this stupid synod on synodality, trying to find something to figure out what this is all about. And I see this thing on page thirty called the fundamental question, and I think, aha, finally we've arrived. The fundamental question that guides this consultation of the people of God, as mentioned at the beginning, is the following. A synodal church, in announcing the gospel, journeys together. How is this journeying together happening today in your particular church? What steps does the Spirit invite us to take in order to grow in our journeying together? I still don't know what the heck this means. I still have no idea what we're talking about. And I'll tell you what it means. I, I, go ahead. No, Sorry. go ahead. I, go ahead I, I, maybe you can help me out because I'm, I'm missing it. Well, so, so if I understood the question right, it's asking how do we journey together to what? To, to what? To unity. What? Okay. A synodal church I'll, I'll in just... announcing the gospel journeys together. Okay. What does that well, mean? In my, in my experience, you know what that means? That means you, you know, where we go to, where we go to mass, you have a group of faithful people who believe the church's teachings, who work together to build a fantastic community from physical labor to spiritual labors. Um, and it's growing. We're bringing converts in. People are coming in who are not previously Catholic. To me, that's a pretty good journey. Now, maybe my idea of the journey is different than what they're looking for. Well, But my idea of the journey when I hear that is, okay, well, what do we need to be journeying to? Because it really doesn't make it clear. But as a Christian, what should that journey be? Salvation of souls, being, bringing people into the church, loving the brotherhood, you sure. know, doing all these things. That's the journey that's important. Not 
some, I don't know what they're talking about, but, but our journey at Regina Chaley Parish in my life has been phenomenal because I have seen the fruits of, of, of evangelization, hard work, love, and, um, you know, just unity and beliefs and thoughts. And then there's the second part to this question. What steps does the spirit invite us to take in order to grow in our journeying together? I've got one. Stop telling lies. Just, just stop lying. (laughs) I mean, I I read Tradiciones Custodes and he's either ignorant. He's either incompetent or he's a liar. Neither of which speaks very highly of you. And I have to tell you, you lie to me once. I can't trust you anymore. So honestly, I'm, I'm not going to pay very close attention to anything that the Holy Father has to say from here on out because I don't trust the man. He's lied to me. That's not my fault, by the way. I didn't ask him to tell that lie. Once you lie to me from here on out, I mean, trust is one of those things. It takes a lifetime to build and only a second to lose it. You know, if you tell a lie, it's uh, going back. It's like the Garden of Eden. You know why the angel is posted at the entrance with the sword of fire to make sure you can't come back because the garden of Eden represents blissful ignorance. You were just, I mean, you were created in the image and likeness of God, but you were kind of just like the other animals. You didn't know the difference between good and evil, but once you know, now you know, and you can never go back to that state where you didn't know. And so the Pope lied And he lied for the purposes of excluding a group of people he doesn't like and then wants to lecture the world on how to be more inclusive, which is another lie. He doesn't care a damn about being inclusive. We know that now. And I'm just to the point of, am I in the Catholic Church to to become holy or am I just here to practice mental gymnastics? Because if I'm just here to practice mental gymnastics, let me know. I'll bow out now. You can have the whole thing. You can have women priests and uh, and dancing. Do whatever you want. If it's all a big lie, I don't care. But if we're here to, to, to journey together, if you want to walk with me, you got to start by not, stop telling lies. That would be, I don't know, that's, that's one thing the Spirit invites us to do. <sighs> Well, does this does this journey call for us to? I'm sure you saw the video of where they had uh, a mass, I believe, in California. Does does this San Bernardino uh, synodality yeah. where they had Aztec, like, like, like what the Jaguar God or whatever it was, dancing around and doing all kinds of things? And it kind of made me think. And I made the comment on Twitter. You know, I said, you know, Our Lady destroyed the Aztec religion once before, and you know, can do it again. <laughs> That's and right. it's like. You know, it's like, okay, we're, you're talking about you're wanting to journey forward. We're going backwards. We are going I mean, backwards. The, you're right. For the for the people. I mean, I mean, Our Lady converted nine million Aztecs, you know, to the to the to the Catholic Church, and all of a sudden we're telling them now, oh, well, your ancestors were idiots. They were wrong. Go back to doing what they were doing. And before you think we're, that, that it's racist, that, that Our Lady destroyed the Aztec religion, she destroyed the Roman one, too. Which one? Of, how, how many of us worship Jupiter anymore? Or, or oh, Mars or, uh, or Bacchus 
we don't do that anymore. No one, most people don't even know who those people are. Or no, they're not people. They were those were Roman deities. But she destroyed the the mythology of the Romans, the ancient Greeks. She every. Let me tell you something about Ireland. Okay, Ireland, pre-Christian <laughs> Ireland, was a barbarous, and I mean it was right up there with the Aztecs. They human sacrifices. Um, yeah, you did the, you had the Druids. The, the and Druid, all that. Yeah, the, the yeah. Celts practiced a a, a a religion, you know, uh, that that had human sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. So this, if you're if you're interested in this, I, I finished a book a couple weeks ago, I think it was mm-hmm. called Converts and Kingdoms by Diane Mogzar, and she talks about how the church converted the pagan West. And you know how we can do it again is the title of the book. But if you're interested, it's a I can always let you borrow it. It's a it's not a real long read, but it talks about the church converting pagan Europe basically. And so this is where I've been, and 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 so here's what brought me. Here's what started to walk me on the road back is I, I started to look to the cross. And somebody once told me a long time ago in 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 times of doubt where it's difficult to figure out what the heck is going on. Look to the cross because the answer is almost always usually there as opposed to uh, other places. And it had to have seemed like, uh, you know, you're, you're walking. Okay, okay, this is the trial. All right. Pretty soon God's going to step in here and sort all this out. Okay. Okay. We're through the trial. It wasn't, wasn't much of a trial, but okay. And, and now they're whipping him and they're beating him up. Okay, any minute now, the vengeful God's going to come down here and start kicking butt. Just You just watch and see. And then it didn't happen. And now, okay, we're literally carrying the cross up the hill. Anytime, God, whenever you're ready. And, uh, okay, they're nailing him. Okay, that it's getting serious now. Um, and, and then they're raising him up on this thing. He's been up there for several hours. He can't breathe anymore. He's going to die. Uh, maybe he wasn't the Messiah after all. Maybe we've been had. Maybe we're, we were stupid for... He's dead. He's dead. Well, I guess that answers the question. He really wasn't the Messiah. And we were idiots. They had to have felt that way. In fact, we know for a fact that most of them dipped out right we we know that and so i i i know that i don't understand what god's plans are i know that and that's very frustrating because i want to (laughs) know i want in on the secret you know trust and pope francis and whatnot and i'm not i'm not saying he is or isn't lying because there's always hearsay but you you were aware of a few weeks ago and from all accounts this uh the reporter the vatican reporter diane montagna mm-hmm. tagna you know she's supposed to be pretty good from from accounts they said she's pretty trustworthy with her sources now take that for what it's worth but she came out and had a had kind of a bombshell report saying that the survey that was because remember in the very beginning of all this when we first started this podcast we were asking what did the survey ask what were the responses right. will we ever see that well, she came out with a report that the survey was quite different than what was written in Traditionis Custodes. Yeah. And um, so were the responses. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the responses yeah. were different than what we were told, according to her report and, and inside sources in the Vatican. And, and yeah, like you said, who knows if any of that's true, but I believe it. I mean, that makes sense. I just can't see that, you know, these, these same bishops who won't stand up to Francis, they don't like to raise a lot of stink. A lot of them... A lot of them just want to go play golf and for you to just leave them alone. You know, they're not interested in starting some liturgical war in their diocese. They, they like the fact that Samorum Pontificum gives those people their churches so they leave me alone, you know. So I, I just had a hard time believing that these bishops were like, yeah, you know what we ought to do is uh, pick a fight with those people. Uh, because I'm like, dude, who wants to pick? You know, you think we're crazy. Who picks a fight with crazy people? I don't know. I just didn't. It didn't make sense. But you know, he had to. He had to facilitate what he wanted to do. And when the truth doesn't let you do that, just make it up. And we, there's a lot of that in. There's a lot of that in the world we live in. And which, that's that's why I say, what steps does the spirit invite us to take in order to grow in our journey together? Stop telling lies would be the first thing. Because until you do that, I'm not going anywhere with you. Well, see, before like she, she, uh, this Diane, Miss Diane, reported on there. I, I was looking for this that uh, it, it was. She, she said that when she spoke to one of the cardinals, what they said was, "We need to get the to the bottom of this of why these young people are attracted to the TLM." Which, by the way, if he's saying that, then that's possibly bigger than the U.S. Like we, you know, we sometimes we can't speak outside the U.S. But anyway, he says. He explained that many of them, talking about us, have psychological and sociological problems. This was before the survey was sent to the bishops. So it kind of leads credence to the story that happened before this one that said, you know, one of Francis's closest advisors was already uh, pushing him to shut down the, the traditional Latin mass. So it's like they already had this drawn up before they ever even asked a question. And, and there's another thing that I think is even more disturbing about that comment, which I absolutely believe was made. Okay. I believe that that. Okay. The other thing is um, we now see all the love and compassion that these guys have for the mentally ill. Well, you know, because if they have, if they have psychological problems, kick them out the church. That's that that's the that's the that's the love and the compassion and the journeying together of our Catholic. Is that a rigid or non-rigid love? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty non-rigid, I guess. (laughs) If you if you have people who are mentally ill, uh, insult them, number one, Um, make 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 claims about them without ever having met them. And, and even though you are not a medical professional, go ahead and diagnose them to people and then kick them out the church. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I can't journey anywhere with this pit of vipers that run our church. I can't. And, and, and I don't mean to get off topic right here, but talking about making medical decisions and all that, we kind of brought up the vaccines. Why is it that our cardinals and bishops and priests, many of them, seem to be ignored? You know, they're, they're telling you, you must get the shot because Pope Francis said it's an act of love. And, as, and I, I just keep thinking, are these guys just going to ignore what the CDF said? That it must be voluntary? That, you know, well, there's always <laughs> it's not a moral obligation to get the vaccine? And it's like... It's like, man, these people are just 
lying and pushing and doing whatever they can for their agenda, which is not an agenda of God, in my opinion. But and, and what happens? And what, and what happens in response to it? Nothing. Nothing. No. And and that's the that's that's what frustrates me so much, is uh, you know I, I I just can't help but think because here's the here's the here's the thing I know that he probably laughs at um, at those who that this cardinal who made this statement he probably laughs at those who go to traditional Latin mass and calls them mentally unstable and they have psychological problems. Um, there are some people who go to our parish who have mental health issues. So think about that the next time you decide to crack a little joke about those crazies over there. But let me tell you something. You know why they come to, to Regina Chaley? Because they're welcomed there. Because nobody's going to make fun of them there. Because nobody's going to, you know, mock them for maybe they walk a little differently or they have trouble walking or uh, they have Tourette syndrome. So you know, which is no fun for them to go out in public knowing that they're going to say embarrassing things all the time. But they come to and Regina you know, Chaley because they know they're not, nobody there is going to make fun of me. Well, Can't say that about the, the Vatican, and, that's for sure. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, we've been told that we're white supremacists because that's what it tends to TLM. I tell you what, we are so white supremacist at Regina Chaley that we welcome anybody, <laughs> regardless yeah, a, of... Color, disability. A bunch of people who would whatever. a bunch of people who would pay real money to have a sub-Saharan guy from Ghana be the Pope instead of the Italian Argentinian guy. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very white supremacists. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about how we're confused about this uh, synod, right? You know the journey they talk about. <laughs> so, are you familiar with Bishop Stowe out of Kentucky? No. Okay, well, he's a kumbaya bishop, LGBTQ. Kumbaya, um, You know, one of these that are these far-left bishops, right? Anyway, he, he, he wrote on Twitter a few weeks ago. He writes, as we embark on this synodal journey, let us follow Pope Francis's example, whatever that means, and listen not only to those who are comfortably in the pews, but those who have been driven to the peripheries of the church or from the church altogether. Now, I thought maybe I could reply to the to the kind bishop or ask him a question and he would reply. He never replied. And I asked him, I said, will you listen to those Catholics that have been driven to the peripheries by bishops and priests like yourself or is this just fluff? Um, yeah, and he, and he ain't going to respond. I, I never got a response. No, they're not taking no. questions. They don't owe you any explanations. You work for them, not the other way around, or at least that's the way they look at it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in a way he doesn't owe me anything, but it's kind of like, Okay, you're talking about oh, inclusive this and oh, love yes, this and don't be rigid oh, and all that. And I'm like, no, no, no. See, you're wrong about something, and I, I've, I've been wrong about this too. He does owe you something. He owes. He took. He took a solemn vow, and he took on a state. He took on the fullness of Christ's priesthood to facilitate everything that is possible for the salvation of your souls. Now. You're right. He doesn't necessarily owe you an explanation, but I got bad news for all you uh, bishops and cardinals who enjoy using that. When you die, that excuse isn't going to work anymore. Because, yeah, you're right. You don't owe us any explanations, but that will not work with Christ. 
And let me tell you no. something. I'm glad you're going to have that conversation. And trust me, I'm going to have my own awkward conversation at the end of time <laughs> that I'm not really looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to, but I'm not looking forward to. <clears throat> but at least, at least I'm not going to be blamed for anything that happened in the College of Cardinals because let me tell you something. You guys are sick. I'd rather hang out with the Mafia. At least they have rules. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that the is they will be held to a higher standard too, you know. And it's kind of like, man, I I would take my role a lot more seriously if I were you guys, but I don't know. That's just that's it's just your, me, you know. I it's your soul. I I try to I try to take my life as serious as possible, at least spiritually, right? But man, you have a greater burden than I do, and I. Do not envy you, and even if we disagree, I do. I do pray for our our, our pope, bishops, and priests, right, every day. But there's some point where you got to step up to the plate, and like you said earlier, get a backbone, get a moral compass, and and do what's right. The, the, there's a play. There's a poem by the great Irishman W. B. Yeats called "The Second Coming," and there's a line in that poem. That goes right along with what Rick Moranis said in Spaceballs. Basically, it's a lot more poetic, but he says, um, the best lack all conviction and the worst are full of passionate intensity. In other words, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. We got to stop being dumb. Okay. These, these people who are constantly holding... This been 50 years of the Catholic Church trying to figure out who it is. At what point are we going to settle that question and start churching again? Ever? Or are we just going to be lost in this fog of, I don't know, well, what do you think? Are we going to just do that forever? I mean, these guys are not going to be satisfied until the Catholic Church is five bishops sitting in a room writing encyclicals to each other all day long. Anyway. I know I shouldn't have that. No, but. Tree, we got to keep it light around here, man. We keep it light over a trap, man. I've been, oh man, I've been worked up lately. Maybe, maybe the thing I do need once in a while is to blow off some steam on this podcast. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the way back. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of got me there. Um. And and uh, by yeah, the way, I, I'm gonna link. I'm gonna link to this, this synod, these synod docs in the in the description of the pod, so you guys can go read this nonsense for yourself and figure out what the heck they're talking about and if any of this makes any sense. But uh, you know, well, I, I I won't get into the topic. That's what I was gonna say. I meant to go to you. Cut me off guard with that. <laughs> um, so they. Uh, I don't like I, said, I don't want to get into it because we because I'd still like in the future to do an episode of Our Lady of Fatima, but our you know as time has progressed, time has gone on, and and I've seen the way things are happening, and then listen to the message of Fatima, and then of course Our Lady of Akita is closely tied to the message of Fatima, and stuff like that. It really I I know the church came out, and I know they said they've revealed all the third secret. I know they've come out and said. Uh, Sister Lucia was supposed uh, have said that uh, Saint John, uh, Pope John Paul II, did the consecration of Russia, mm-hmm. you know, fully or or, or it met the uh, met the requirements of what 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 Our Lady wanted, right? 
there are many people out there who who have the theory no need the consecration was not done and the third secret has not been fully revealed and when you read what the what the third secret the part of it that was revealed and you read the consecration and then i see what's happening in the church right now and the messages of fatima and like i said akita and all that call me conspiracy theorist but i'm the older i get the more i'm starting to teeter on the other side of the fence saying you know what i think there may be more to this than what meets the eye so can we talk about fatima for a little bit since we're kind of on the subject yeah we can because 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 i'm about to make some i I hope i don't make any enemies because i i'm not there's this there's this thing there's this myth out there that mark robertson is against apparitions like he's just and that's not true I don't un- I don't quite understand it. I I don't and and I am totally willing to accept the fact that the ignorance is mine. It's it's my it's it's my misunderstanding. Um and we were also uh we were planning on for for Halloween doing an episode on exorcism and and exorcists which uh we thought was going to be we thought might be a pretty fun topic, but it kind of plays into that I don't quite understand apparitions and I've been to places and I've seen this thing like when it was in 1997, I happened to be uh, in Bosnia, Herzegovina and uh, traveled to Medjugorje and noticed all these people who hung on these five or six kids who were seeing the Virgin Mary's every word they're treated like rock stars. They're treated like royalty everywhere they go in the town. And then there's this phenomenon of, of lonely, uh, divorced women whose kids have gone off to college, who they go to Medjugorje and they come back and then they see the Virgin Mary. And it's like, okay, I think I see what's going on here. And, and, and the messages are always stuff like pray, pray, pray. Oh, I could, I could make that up. I mean, that doesn't seem that, you know, that, that difficult to, to fake that. Um, I just don't get it now. Now keeping now that being said, I love our lady of Guadalupe, which is an apparition. I love, uh, I, I have devotions to these, like our lady of Lourdes, our lady of Fatima, our lady of Guadalupe particularly. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm faced with this mental block of, what is this? You know what I mean? I, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. And um, I'm sure you're aware of the controversy around, uh, and I'm, I don't know how to say it, Medjugorje. I mean, Medjugorje, not, not really. I, don't, I, know that, I know that it's controversial. I don't know the nature of the controversy or anything really about well, it. Because like I said, I, I don't really get into apparitions that much. So, so. The the three okay so going back to uh, Medjugorje right Medjugorje 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 I don't think that that's the church has approved that apparition but of course with that said just because the church has an approved apparition you're not required obviously to believe it as a Catholic for those who uh, may not be aware but um, but there have been many people who have spoken out against Medjugorje. I'm just going to, I don't know how to say it. The Bo- we'll call anyway, it the I'm... Bosnian apparition. <laughs> yeah. Um, but many people have spoken out against it. And there have been people who have said, no, I think this is a, 
this is a, a demonic apparition that it is actually not from God because you know you read in scripture I believe it's scripture where you read um, you know that sometimes you know uh, Satan will uh, clothe himself in, in, as an angel of light pair kind of phrasing here right yeah. he'll he'll disguise himself and so some people kind of take that view of it and I've some of the things I've kind of heard about it back and forth I've, I've actually kind of shied away from it because I'm like you know what there's too much in it for me back uh, going back and forth for me to feel really comfortable. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, I feel like I'm going to do this wrong or or there's a, there's a, there's a chance that I could go down a, a a, a weird rabbit hole that is not going to be good for my spiritual life. So I just, I just kind of shy away from it altogether for that reason. And now things like Fatima, Fatima has, Fatima is so interesting to me because it's it's so well documented. There were hundreds of people there, right, who saw the same mm-hmm. thing. That's interesting to me because one of the things I don't get about apparitions are, you know, uh, Our Lady is everybody's mother. Christ's message is universal, but also he appears to these special people and has special messages just for them for the exclusion of everybody else. I, I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense to me, but... Well, like when you look at the messages of Fatima, Akita, and stuff like that, even Our Lady of Guadalupe, it's really not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong from what you know, it's not really, in those, it's not really messages for certain people to the exclusion of others. It's a message that is in, that does not contradict the positive faith, does not change the message of God, and actually is a message for the world. Because, you know, Fatima and Akita called the world to conversion, right? right? Uh, you know, through prayer, through penance, through, you know, whatever, saying, hey, if the world does not convert, Christ, God is angry with the world's sins, basically. And God is going to condemn the world if these things don't happen, right? right. And uh, which, which, that's true. God, you know God is not happy with the way that, the world is right? right. I mean, I mean, I would think that's that's the history of salvation, right? right? So, w- with apparitions, like, if it's something that contradicts the deposit of faith or 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 what, yeah, I mean, it's it's not true. But apparitions should 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 strengthen your faith. If they don't strengthen your faith, then it may not be an apparition that's that's worth believing and maybe an apparition that's not you know real and um sorry i'm kind of well here's like here's what here's what fascinates me i'm looking here's what fascinates me about fatima uh these three kind of peasant children in portugal get get you know they they see the virgin mary allegedly right and then they one of the messages they receive is russia will spread her errors throughout the world they got mm-hmm. this message in May of 1917. The uh, the Bolshevik Revolution wouldn't happen until October, so mm-hmm. they couldn't. I mean, that's a weird that's a weird coincidence to me, right? And also, well, gonna... all of the people who were there and documented it makes it very interesting to me as well. But I'm just naturally and... this sort of skeptical person. Religion is not something that comes easily to me. So when I hear stuff like this, I go, uh, I don't know. What, what is that? You know what I mean? Well, I, I will say that I grew up not believing in these type of things. Like I was actually quite a bit opposed to it before my conversion. But before I, but before I get to that, I was kind of sidetracked a second. I was kind of rambling on because I was looking for the verse where I said, you know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's St. Paul in 2 Corinthians. I'm, okay. 
So what I was saying a minute ago is when I was, I, I know I was kind of down a little sidetracked. I was looking for this verse. It's in St. Saint Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, starting in 13. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can find a Catholic version of it real quick. Do a reams, baby. Yeah, let's see if I could find that on this uh, Bible hub on this internet search and you, and here. You better read it that in way. Latin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> or 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 I could make some people that might listen make them upset and uh, read in the King James version. But anyway. <laughs> I I saw um, a bumper sticker that said King James is is the Lord is is Jesus's Bible, and I was like, Jesus spoke English. I mean, I mean, obviously he's God. He can probably speak all the languages, obviously, but um, yeah. that would be bizarre because okay. I don't think anyone would understand what he was saying in first century okay, Palestine. So, but go ahead. So, starting in 13 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. For such false prophets are deceitful workmen, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformeth himself into an angel of light. So, you know... It, when I read that, it kind of leaves credence to the idea of the, the Bosnian ap apparition mm -hmm. where people say, you know, it, it's not out of the realm is what I'm sure. saying. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. I haven't ever felt called. I haven't ever, like I said earlier, really looked into it too much because of the issues surrounding right. it. Now, the, uh, going back to what you were talking about, Fatima, but some interesting things that happened. Talking about, you know, they got the apparitions in 1917 and uh, the errors of Russia and all that. There were some really interesting things that really opened my eyes up and made me start believing in apparitions because of Fatima. You know, the miracle of the sun, or the, the ground was dried and all that. It wasn't just like it was Catholic publications writing that this miracle happened. Right. It was it was atheist, it was secular, and it was even messianic uh, uh, reporters writing the same thing, right? Well, there's a lot of scientific inquiry into the miracle of the sun, which wouldn't happen unless it was a pretty well-documented thing. And I mean, yeah. you know, scientists aren't going to get involved in something that one or two people saw. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so you have that. And then, you know, the, there was something else talking about errors spread or Russia spreading her errors. Do you remember when general Patton after world war two, right before it was about to end, he wanted to invade Russia because he talked about there would, you know, if they stop Russia, you know, there would be peace in the world or something along those lines. I, I didn't know that, but doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm just okay. I'm ignorant of a lot of things. So, it's, it's always kind of reminded me of this Russia spreading her errors when I started learning about Fatima, right? Um, anyway, that's kind of a side note. But one thing that really stood, has always stood out to me is people say, well, Sister Lucia wrote her memoirs after the fact. So she had hindsight to go, you know, look back and say, this is what happened to make her look right. Okay. Okay. okay fair, fair enough. Well, in one of her memoirs, she talks about how Our Lady says, you know, if 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 we don't, if the Pope in, in union with the bishop of the world doesn't consecrate Russia and people don't amend their lives and so on and so forth, that a greater war would come. That World War One was about to end and a greater war was going to come, and they would know by that it was going to happen because there would be a great light in the sky. Okay, well, many times people say, well, she wrote Pope Pius the Eleventh would be the Pope mm -hmm. in her memoirs. You know, our lady said Pope Pius XI would be the Pope when World War II started. People said, oh, well, that's either a typo or she was wrong or whatever because 
when when Germany invaded Poland and all that, Pope Pius XII was actually Pope. Okay, so people say, well, she mistyped or she was wrong or whatever. And, and, and you think, wait, 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 if she's looking back in history, she either messed up or she said what Our Lady actually told her. Because, you know, many people can also make the argument that World War II started back when uh, Japan invaded Manchuria. Is that right? Manchuria? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, Manchuria. And Pope Pius XI was Pope then. So... Hmm. It's kind of like, okay, did she mess up? Or was she actually conveying the words of Our Lady to her with Pope Pius XI? And I kind of, with everything else that has happened, I've kind of come to the conclusion, no, she meant Pope Pius XI. Now, World War II, to many people, started with Germany invading Russia. But remember, World War II was not just a European theater, right? Right. And, and... You, you can easily make the argument that World War II may have even started before, maybe not in its full force, but the beginnings of it were when Japan was doing its thing in the far far east, right? right. And uh, so anyway, I've always thought that was kind of interesting that if she had hindsight, why would she write Pope Pius XI unless those were the actual words of Our Lady? And see, and this is where I, I always go down. I, 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 I see problems with interpreting, with trying to interpret historical events through the lens of prophecy because that seems like a very Protestant thing to do. And I, I so, so bear with me here for a second. One of the things okay. that I, that I often say is Protestants can't really talk about where the Bible comes from because to do that is to recognize the authority of the Catholic church, the scriptural authority of the Catholic church. And so the Bible to Protestants was just is just sort of this thing that wasn't there and then it was. And we and so to interpret the scriptures, you can't go to sources like the early fathers. So the Bible becomes this sort of esoteric tome that requires a lot of study and 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 we have to and it will only make sense to the generation that lives at the time of the end times and things like that. When in, in, in our religion, in the Catholic religion, we go back to the early fathers to interpret the scriptures and things like that. And so when I get into these, the apparitions and the eschatology, um, the, the, the secrets, like I have a problem with why would our lady have secrets that are for the whole world, but not for the whole world. Like they're, 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 I have secrets that are for the whole world, but they're only for the Pope. And the Pope reveals them at certain times. And I don't know, it just seems very, it, that it's difficult for me when I talk to people who are not Catholic about apparitions to explain apparitions because I have all the same questions that they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, and that's not to say that I'm, that I'm right. It's it's just one of those things of, and like you said, it's not required uh, to 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 be a Catholic that you that you uh, believe in apparitions. But here's the deal: I kind of do believe in apparitions because, like I said, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, so you know, I'm from South Texas. Uh, my father's side of, of my family is Chicano. My uh, my mother's side is Irish. So Our Lady of Guadalupe is a big deal 
for me and for everybody here and every Catholic here in South Texas, I don't care what stripe you are. I've, I've been to Byzantine Catholic churches where they have icons of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I can't say that I'm against apparitions or I don't believe in apparitions because that's not true. I just have like a, I don't understand them enough to really get into them. And I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble. So that's kind of why I just don't go there. But, you know. Well, and and I'm just going to kind of think out loud. I'm going to think out loud here. So correct me if I'm wrong in my thinking here, but just but just listen to what you're what you're talking uh-huh. about here. You know, I, I know for me personally, you know, with Fatima and stuff, it has strengthened my faith in the Catholic Church, you know, so that's that's why I'm a big fan of, of Fatima. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you mentioned and I definitely see where you're coming from because. I used to be there. I mean, I was there till my conversion process as far as the Protestant, obviously, because I was Protestant, mentality of these things, you know, with the questions and whatnot. But, you know, going to your your question about why would she have secrets that only the Pope will find out and then he'll, you know, he's supposed to reveal or whatnot. You know, I, I kind of liken that to, you know, with the original deposit of faith. You know, God didn't just declare to the whole world at the same time through a vision that these are the truths sure you know he took certain men certain leaders and says okay now go on the world and and uh, you know through the inspiration of the holy spirit and go ahead and, and teach men these truths and of course the church has been understanding those truths at a deeper and better level of understanding for two thousand mm-hmm. years um so I, I kind of as you were saying that kind of made me think about that with why you know with the secrets and and, and whatnot you know why reveal it that way it kind of seems like that's the way god likes to operate with with revealing divine revelation or, or revealing truths or, or or whatever the case may be yeah i mean like i said it, it, it if i die well not if i die when i die Right. I will so, never die. Like I tell people when they when they talk to me about wills and estate planning, I was like, death is not an if situation. It's a win situation. But anyway, um, <laughs> when I die and I get before judgment and I find out that apparitions are a 100% true thing and it's it's all part of God's plan, things like that, I won't be shocked. I won't be like, oh, wow, I had no mm-hmm. idea. Um, I, I'm perfectly willing to entertain the idea that that it is uh it is what it seems to be but because i don't i don't understand it i just don't go there and a lot of people take that as mark mark doesn't believe in apparitions that's not true i just don't understand it and it's one of those things that i just sort of i don't like to talk about things that i don't understand very well because i i'm going to I'm going to misrepresent it, A, I'm going to misrepresent it to people, and B, I'm going to make myself look stupid by saying something that isn't true or something like that, and I don't want to do that. And so I kind of just leave it for more uh, people who are more educated on that subject, like yourself, to... I wouldn't call me educated. You're definitely (laughs) on this subject? Oh, yeah, you're, you're light years ahead of me because... Um, I just kind of know about it generally, but I, it, I've i been so kind of skeptical, I don't want to say skeptical, kind of afraid of it in a certain sense uh, that I just don't go there. But I, I respect people who who know a lot about uh, like, like Fatima and Lourdes and Our Lady of Guadalupe. I am skeptical of people who follow every single person who's claiming that the Virgin Mary is giving them special messages. I, 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 I just, yeah. especially all these people who, 
have never had anything like that in their lives and then they they go to Medjugorje and then they see all the attention that these quote unquote visionaries get and then they come back and now they see the Virgin Mary and it and without fail every person that this has happened to has been a lonely old lady whose kids have grown up and moved out and husband's either gone or or he's died and now they're getting all this attention too. I'm not saying that that means the Virgin Mary is not really appearing to them. I'm just saying it, it, it's a good motivation to, they may honestly believe that this is happening to them because the mind is a strange, we don't, we don't understand very much about the brain. Um, and so it could be one of these things you could work yourself up into a state to make yourself believe that you're that important, that the Virgin Mary would appear to you specifically. I don't know. It's just something that I think about because I'm kind of a skeptic like that. And I like, I like the Catholic church because the Catholic church doesn't leave, a, it doesn't leave a lot for me to figure out on my own. <laughs> you know, it's, if we say something in the Bible and you're confused about what it means, there's, there's 50 different church fathers you can go and read and find out what that's really about. And when it comes to apparitions, I feel like I'm feeling my way around in a dark room. Well, no, that's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's better to, I would say, think like that and be like, well, I don't understand it, so it's all hogwash. You right, know? right. Um, which is not which but, but, is not my position at all. So, but talking about the, um, you know, just just thinking through, you know, you know, with I, I know at least with Fatima, Lords, and stuff like that. Oh, and even Our Lady of Guadalupe with Juan Diego. They never really became rock stars after they had the visions, you know. The in Fatima, two of the shepherd kids died shortly after, you know, like a, within a couple of years, I believe both of them did. Mm -hmm. And Sister Lucia, you know, she she went on to, uh, you know, live a religious life. Um, you know, they were they were kidnapped, taken to the authorities. Nobody believed them. Our Lady of Lords, uh, Saint Bernadette, nobody believed her. Gave her a hard time, and you know all this. And it's not, you know, now again, I don't know, but just from the way you're describing earlier, how, you know, the 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 visionaries in, in Bosnia, you know, how they're treated, it's kind of a it's kind of a different take from what I'm understanding, from what you're saying about that. Because, again, I don't know a whole lot about that one. Um, I, I, you know, I've stayed away from it. But the thing is, is like if, okay, so you don't believe in an apparition. Well, it, it, like you said earlier, it's not like you're going to go to heaven and God's going to be like, well... You didn't believe you didn't believe in this vision I sent. Too bad because again, the the visions really don't, or are not supposed to. Uh, if it's a correct, if it's a real uh, apparition, it's not supposed to change fundamental beliefs in the faith, right? right. right? If it does, obviously it's wrong. But uh, but yeah, you can go on believing them and still be one hundred percent Catholic and all that. I just like I said, if you know. I, this may be the wrong lens to view it as, as well, but you know, it's kind of like a sacramental sometimes as well. You know, if a sacramental helps bring you to holiness, helps you to bring you to greater faith, great, use it. If you don't, if it doesn't, don't. You know, kind of like apparitions. If they bring you to holiness and greater faith, fantastic. That's what they're supposed to do. You know, if 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 it doesn't, well, you're, you're no worse or no better off. And 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 I'm one of these people who I really hope the first time I see the Virgin Mary is when I die. 
I do not. Uh, let me tell you something. If if Jesus were to give me the stigmata, it would be wasted because I would wear gloves. I would never go to a doctor again. I don't. I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't. And it's it's one of these things that I've I've often thought about. A lot of people often say, "Why doesn't God just communicate with me straight? Why does Why does God?" behave so communicate so mysteriously and and why is he so enigmatic in some in some senses why doesn't he just show up like like he did to Moses and tell me what he wants and i think yeah you say you want the burning bush you don't really want the burning bush because to encounter the deity to encounter the godhead or to even encounter the virgin mary face to face would cause you to fundamentally reevaluate the universe you live in and your place within it instantly. It it would shock you. I mean, it's no coincidence in the Bible, every time an angel appears to somebody, the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. Angels are, are sort of cartoonized in our modern culture as these little beautiful people with wings. That is not the way they are described in the Bible. They are, it, it is terrifying to encounter an angel face to face. It's not something you would wish on yourself. So um, if it's God's will, uh, I would just rather he communicate with me through the plain old ways, the, the, the much more ordinary ways uh, that he's been <laughs> communicating with me. I, it, I would be fine with that. So, <laughs> Well, you, you bring up that point about people say, you know, well, why doesn't God just, yeah, well, j- God did 2000 years ago and G and you know, do the incarnation through Jesus Christ. And guess what? People there saw with their own eyes, visions and miracles and still didn't believe. Yeah. Wow. That's so a good it's point. Kind of, it's, You're right. it, it's kind of, it's kind of like you say that, but would you really, because at the end of the day, even if you see with your own eyes, it still takes faith to believe what you've saw it. Like it takes faith for us to believe what we hear, uh, what we believe, you know, uh, God has revealed to us because again, you had Pharisees, you even had people during the bread of life discourse who saw Jesus just feed 5,000 people and say, Oh, well, okay. Well, I, I guess the show's over, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's like, no, Jesus Christ just performed a miracle in front of you people. And you people heard a hard teaching and said, that's it. I mean, uh, just like we do today. Just like we do Peter today. saw the transfiguration. And then in Jerusalem, yeah. he was like, I do not know the man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, you, you want to know, did you want to know what one of my favorite movies is? This will probably shock listeners too, but I'm serious. Oh, my, okay. one of my favorite movies is William Peter Blatty's the exorcist. And that I've never seen. It. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not urging people to run out and see it because there are blasphemies in this movie. Because it's about the devil, okay? And that's kind of what his thing is, right? But essentially, it is a scathing indictment of the post-conciliar Catholic Church. Uh, this movie could not have been written by Monsignor Lefebvre any better than it, than it was. It is about a young, uh, floppy-haired Jesuit priest who's a psychiatrist, of all things, because that's what you need your priest to be, is a psychiatrist, and he's lost his faith. He goes around saying he's lost his faith. But it's not just him. It's all the priests in the movie. They all look so depressed all the time. And 
he can he is forced to confront the spiritual reality of a young girl who is possessed by a demon. And what's funny what's funny to me is the way it's illustrated is in this movie you would think if you're depressed about losing your faith and you encountered somebody who was very clearly possessed by a demon you would sort of be excited and exuberant because now you know it really is real. There really is a God because you just met his adversary. And if Satan is here, you know God's real, right? So you get your faith back. Yeah. That's not how he responds. He is positively shook up. And it goes back to what I, and it was a really, really interesting th- thing thematically because it goes back to what I'm saying. Yeah, everybody wants the burning bush. But you don't really want to encounter the burning bush like you think you do. And spoiler alert, the great thing about this movie, The Exorcist, is when it comes time to exorcise the demon, they don't they don't let this floppy haired Jesuit do the exorcism. They call in the old they call in the old timer. This crust oh. this crusty old relic that they were so sure they had consigned to a museum somewhere. They call him up because he's he's the one who can take care of business. And William Peter Blatty was a, he, he was a Catholic. Uh, he went to Georgetown University, and he actually sued Georgetown University in, in a canonical court in Rome for the weird pro-abortion speakers and everything that they were bringing over. So he was he, he, the, the principal theme of the movie "The Exorcist is something is wrong in the modern-day Catholic Church. Something's rotten in the state of Denmark. Now, this movie came out in 1973, so the council isn't even 10 years old yet. And already, people are are, are seeing, yeah, something's... And there's other things well, in the movie that, that are very interesting. Like, at one point, uh, at, right after this young Jesuit, his name is Father Karras encounters the possessed little girl he's saying mass okay and he's you don't see you see him saying mass in some other scenes and he's not he's facing the people um uh uh not uh what do they call that versus populi you know yeah versus populi. and um the next scene after he encounters the possessed little girl you can see a close-up of him he's saying mass you can't see which direction he's facing he is saying it in english but I think that's to a very subtle illustration of a point. He consecrates the precious blood and he says, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, the mystery of faith. That line is not in Paul VI's missal. That mystery, the mysterium fide in the consecration of the precious blood is in the Tridentine Latin mass. So I thought that was a little interesting little thing to put in there. Um, and, Ironically, every most of the time when you see Father Karras in the movie, he's in a jacket and the, the a collared shirt with pants, um, but he dies in a cassock. When it comes time to go do the exorcism, Father Marin, the old timer, he says, run over to the residence, grab a cassock, a purple stole, and a copy of the Roman ritual. And for the rest of the movie, you see him in a cassock. I, so I thought it was an interesting little thing like that and it uh so so what i got from all that is if i need an exorcism or if somebody needs one call father or more if not father james Morton. <laughs> yes yeah i don't think i'd fall i don't think i'd call jimmy uh well we, you know uh, you mentioned earlier we talked about 
doing our latest Fatima episode and then a Halloween episode and, and whatnot. So it's not like we're putting them all together here because, uh, you know, there was a story that came out uh, right before Halloween that said that exorcists across the U.S. said they were being overwhelmed with cases yeah. because of the rise in occult practices in young people. And, you know, it, I remember it might have been in Slain Drag. Did you ever finish that book? I, I started it. it I started it, but then... So now, so now I'm going to make more enemies because I I have some there's some things that don't make sense about about this about this stuff. But go ahead, I, I want you to finish your thought before we get into my thing. Okay, so uh, it, it might have been in that book, but I remember reading somewhere that saying you know, exorcists through you know past few decades are having a harder and harder time exercising demons, right? And and part of the theory or reason behind that is is because. You know, when the body, you know, when the, you know, when one member of the body is weak, the, you know, the whole body gets weaker, right? You know, it's right. It's, it's kind of a team. And, and they talk about how the church and its orthodoxy and its belief and its faith has is not as strong as it used to be. And that is causing exorcisms to take longer and longer and harder and harder to to do because us as a body as a whole are weak are getting weaker because of our of our you know of our sins because of our our unorthodoxy and and so on and so forth so you know it it, it really seems like uh you know the, i just think the, it's the, interesting the, that these exorcists are really speaking to us as a church i just think it's interesting that you, you would think that in a church in which a t- overall attendance is declining the request for exorcisms would go down. In fact, the opposite is true. And that's there, there, the, the Catholic church is doing more exorcisms now than it's probably ever done. Um, and there is actually a, a, a course that you can take at the Pontifical Athenaeum Regina Apostolorum. Um, and you can learn how to be an exorcist in this course. And there are some lay people who take this for um, educational purposes. Um, and keep in mind that the, the church does not advise that you perform exorcism or, or, or say the exorcism prayers just as a precaution or anything like that. That, that is not something that the Catholic church wants yeah. us to do. That is, uh, they do, they do have deliverance prayers for the laity. And I have that but book. They, but they are not, I was going to say, they are not the same. Right, they're not the same. So, you know, if you come across the Roman ritual and you want to sort of see what the prayers for exorcism are, that I, I don't think that that would be a problem. But um, it's definitely not something that you would like want to incorporate into your spiritual life or something like that. So the, I just want to put that caveat out there. There was a great see. I'm a I'm a certified horror movie buff, right? I, I I like the scary movies, and there was one movie I saw. It was supposedly based on a true story about a Catholic family in I believe it was Pittsburgh, whose home was infested with demonic activity, and they're trying desperately to seek an exorcism. They go to the priest. And the priest says, well, you know, <clears throat> we just don't do things like that anymore. The Catholic Church wants to maintain a more pragmatic image. And I just thought, wow, you gave up the opportunity to ever have a family and ever, uh, you know, um, love a woman for pragmatism. That may be the saddest what, thing what, I've heard all day. What was the name, the of, name the of the movie? The name of the movie is The Haunted. And it was a made-for-TV movie. You can probably you can find it on YouTube. And it was... 
that came out and like the no, just that last, that, that part you said right there sounds familiar, but I don't think I've ever seen the haunted. But to be honest with you, I'm not a horror fan. Oh, but the best anyway. part the best part is they finally they, since they can't get the Catholic Church to 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 man up and do its job, which apparently is a chronic problem. Um, they finally they go to these like paranormal investigators or whatever who find an Episcopal priest and they're walking with this couple whose house is haunted apparently. And they're saying, well, we found you a guy who will do an exorcism. He's, he's an Episcopal priest. And the woman says, will that, will that work? And the investigator goes, well, it's not ideal. <laughs> I died. I, I stood up and I started clapping. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but any, it's like getting an it's like getting an exorcist on clearance. And and according to this film, the Episcopal priest comes over. He does the the exorcism in Latin. It does not make the 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 phenomenon go away. And you sort of find out in the postscript of the film that uh, a couple of years later, a, a church sanctioned exorcism ended their ordeal. So that was interesting to me. Here's what I don't understand about exorcism or, or really what I don't understand about demonic possession. If it's true that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist, why would he possess people? Which would have the opposite effect of, totally convincing people that you are involved in a spiritual war and um like i don't i don't know what the what would satan's motivation be for doing that i i tell you because i i believe it was father rip ripiger who who said this i, I read one time and it, that same exact question uh, or answered that same question that that you know i was thinking and i guess others were because he, he answered you know this is what he said but anyway he said you know Overall, he said, extra or uh, actual demonic possession is very rare, right? But he said in the cases that it, it happens, where it's an actual uh, a possession, the the demons or who you know, however many there are, one, two legion of them, or however many, don't really want to be out in the forefront saying, "Oh, I'm you know, I've possessed this person." They kind of want to do their evil while laying low. Why? Because if it's if it's obvious that they're possessed by a demon, then they're more likely to have an exorcist come out and cast them out, mm -hmm. and and they won't be able to have the possession as long or do the evil they want to do. You know, it, where if they were just flamboyant about it. Now he says that there are some that are very out there, but typically they kind of want to lay low. And he said that's if I if I remember right, he said that's one reason that so many people may think they're under possession, but he can already tell many times right away, well, you're probably not because of you're being very out there with it. You may have another, you know, mental issue or something else going on. But many times they want to lay low so that they can stay hidden and do their work. And and I I've I, I and I think there's something to that because there there are people who uh, have a variety of mental illnesses like schizophrenia and things like that, that, but that, I mean, if you've, you've seen homeless people on, on the street who talk to themselves or who scream and who, I mean, sometimes scare people with, with their behavior, but you don't instantly think, well, that person's possessed by a demon. You can sort of tell what's going on there, right? That this person is, uh, right. 
is very ill, and it's it's actually a real tragedy when you run, when you come across something like that. Um, of course, our good friends in the Vatican would find that an opportunity to make fun of you and uh, and and kick you while you're down if you had that those illnesses. God forbid, but uh, I would not. I hope I would not. Anyway, um, but but this is something different, and it it it, it is. It is something uh, like you're saying. It's it's a it's a different thing than a mental illness, and I just don't know how else to really articulate that other than you can just sort of feel that it's different. I, is is that is that sort of the uh, the consensus that you can? feel Well, it I don't know that you can yeah, feel I'm, it. I, but I mean, I'm, if, but I mean, there are supposed to be signs like aversion to say sacramentals or holy water or you know, not going to church. There's supposed to be kind of signs, but if I understood Father Ripperger correctly, he also said that, you know, possession is different than oppression. You know, there's a lot of people that, that are under diabolic oppression, but that is different than possession. Yeah. And uh, like there, there's a story I read of a, of a young boy and I forget which uh, I'll, I'll have to find the story. Cause I, I had it up uh, for, for the pod we wanted to do on this. But they took him to the hospital because he was raving and screaming and and, and was exhibiting behavior uh, that was consistent with demonic possession. And then, apparently, three doctors and four nurses there at the hospital saw him crawl up a wall. Now, hmm. I understand the, the, the Medjugorje ladies who come back and make up seeing the Virgin Mary, I, I get it. I don't know how you convince five medical personnel who probably aren't even Catholic to lie about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you convince me to stay a doctor at that hospital. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> like I said, it's not something, <clears throat> this is not something I want to encounter. It's just, to me, it would be just as disturbing to encounter an angel or the Virgin Mary as it would be to encounter something like that because uh, I am pretty sure I understand the universe I live in and my place within it. But to have a visual confirmation like that, I mean, it would shake, it would shake you. And I, I just, God, if you're listening, uh, which I know you are, but um, just continue to communicate with me in the, in the much more ordinary ways that you have been. I, I will be fine with that. Um, you, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to scare the hell out of me. Hopefully, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, you know seeing an angel or or the Blessed Virgin Mary versus some democ are definitely two different. Oh, they definitely are. And, I I I yeah, think yeah. my reaction would be that I I would like to say that my reaction would be joy in the in the face of visible confirmation that 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 God exists and that it's the Catholic God and, you know, all these things that we wonder about sometimes in the back of our minds. Um, but in reality, my, my, my reaction would probably be fear. Um, and I think that I'm not alone in that. Like I said, if you read the scriptures, every time an angel appears to somebody, the first thing the angel says is don't be afraid. So, uh, there's, you know, there's something, something to that, I think. Um, did did you hear uh, in the beginning of October that there were talking about demon possession, that there were wild boars, wild boars running the streets of Rome? I did not. You want to go hog hunting? 
<laughs> well, I don't know about these because remember when Jesus sent the legion of demons into the herd I do. of pigs? I do. And they were running out? I do. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that on, uh, How on social media. Somebody somebody said, well, this is this is quite How ironic. How interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's like the, the way, the thing that scares me about the devil is not that he's going to uh, possess a child and have him walk up a wall in front of me. <clears throat> the thing that scares me about Satan is he comes to me as my best friend. He uh, and and he comes to me as, as things that are so attractive and so beautiful and so luxurious and so decadent and so enjoyable. It's like he knows you better. He than knows. You oh, he's got my number. There's no question. Yeah. And. And I, and I mean that for all of us. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Like And like like a confessor once told me, um, the most intelligent creature that God ever created has done nothing since the dawn of time but think about how to drag your soul to hell. And I went, wow. And he said, that's the bad news. The good news is, well, he said, he said the bad news is you're outmatched. You do not have what it takes to fight this fight. You don't. The good news is you have a champion who steps in for you. And he does have what it takes to fight this fight. So I look at, I look at you know, demonic possession like that. It's, it's again, it's not something I understand a lot. I do believe I'm, I'm more solid in my belief of demonic possession than I am about apparitions just because our, our Lord cast out demons in, in scripture. And from what I've seen of like videos of people who are possessed and things like that, you know, you can treat schizophrenia with medication for the most part. This does not appear to be that it appears to be something else. And, um, but you know, I I I let the church be my guide. I don't uh, I don't question her wisdom. Well, you you mentioned something about the book. You didn't you stop reading. Was that kind of along the lines of what you? Oh were thinking, yeah, no, I stopped. Like... I I couldn't I couldn't get through. There were some things that like the the devil's gonna possess you if you take a yoga class. I I didn't quite understand that. That that was. Yeah, so if if I remember on that, and I think even Father Ripperger has talked about that as well. And that may who that may be where I read this. He quotes, you know, not not necessarily that you're definitely going to get possessed, but you know, you you open up the the gates by or or give give an opportunity to to weaken yourself to the oppression or even possibly possession by practicing yoga because it goes back to the occult. You know what they were talking about. A rise in exorcisms in the U.S. because of occult practices in the U.S. You know, and, and yoga is very tied to pagan spirituality. You know, Hindu, um, and and I think that's what they're talking about. Not not that you will definitely get it, but you are definitely not doing yourself any favors at a minimum. I I can see if you were, well, but see again. I mean, most of the people who do yoga here in the United States are really just doing the physical exercise of it. They're not doing the religious part of yoga, which is a, which in actual yoga is a, a very big component. And it seems like if that were true, then 
people who practice any other type of religion, I mean, because technically what we believe is every other religion other than Catholicism is a pagan religion. That 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 is, like I said, we believe it's the truth to the exclusion of all others. So wouldn't it be true also that uh, that Islam and Judaism and Buddhism and all these other religions would be gateways for demonic possession? Well, I, I don't think that that all these different religions are also on equal parring as far as their, how do I say, you know, some are worse than others. Let's just put it like gotcha. that. Um, and, and again, I, I, you know, with the yoga, you know, it's a lot of stretching and, and, and stuff like that. Right. Uh-huh. There's plenty of other exercises that you can do to get those benefits, but the argument is made and, and I've kind of tend to agree with it as time goes on, the more, I, the more I, think about it more, read about it, is you really can't undo the pagan position, you know, worship positions. You can't undo the the the, the language uh, and, the, and the way that it's tied. Because if you really talk to people that do yoga regularly, at least in my experience, they're, they're real into this meditative, what is it, Rikeshi, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well... You, 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 apparently you can't, a lot of people can't undo the pagan aspects of it from the, from the exercise portion, whether consciously or unconsciously. I think it's just a lot of hippies who, uh, reek of BO and underemployment, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, I don't know. Well, I, I, I I don't think, I I don't think hippies have been friends of Catholicism either. So there's no kidding oh man um all right we're up at two hours jace let's make a let's let's make a pact you do what are you doing this weekend this coming weekend let's see i got a uh i got a big wrestling tournament all day not for, for me i'm out of shape for that <laughs> for, my, for my son so yeah or is that on saturday okay yeah, so we'll, saturday. we'll we'll try to record another episode uh this week and because uh, we, uh, I, I think this podcast is good for me. I think it's a good way to blow off some steam. And I appreciate those of you who joined us um, and joining us for my ranting and raving about all the things that upset me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise that I will uh, try and be a little more positive uh, uh, going forward. But hey, man, you know, sometimes it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Um, Jace, any parting thoughts? No, just uh, I'll pray for you. You pray for me, and uh, we'll we'll talk here again hopefully next week. Sounds great. Thank you all guys for joining us. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. God bless. Okay.